Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, hello Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James and today we're doing another campfire chat. How have you been, Scully? How are you? Pretty good. Looking forward to these marshmallows. I know. And we've got an extra friend around the campfire today and it's Ivan Cheriloff. Well done. You're welcome. That's good. <laughs> I can just see him through the smoke. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're doing a campfire chat. And first and foremost, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. The cadence of this type of episode, it is a little bit slower. We go for a little bit longer and we just basically chew the fat. And today we're chewing the fat all around investing, investing in shares, platforms, tax, you name it. We're going to talk about it. Ivan is actually the CEO of Open Markets Group, or we'll refer to that as OMG. Thank you. OMG. OMG. And... Uh, Part of the Open Markets Group is Open Trader, and Open Trader have uh, recently supported the My Millennial Money National Tour, which you know Sydney Melbourne is still on pause at the moment. And this episode is brought to you by uh, Open Trader. So thanks, Ivan, for uh, having a chat with us. Thank you for having me. And it's I just a for everyone, like I'm pretty transparent. Like I wanted to add the most value to everyone listening. So instead of having like a 45-minute deep dive on Open Trader and the cool things about the platform, I'm like, well, let's just talk about investing in shares. And let's, you know, we asked permission from the, the gods of above if we could have Vince on the episode. And uh, thanks, Camilla, for letting us uh, <laughs> have Vince. And uh, I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. I hope so. Otherwise, you might lose some listeners. I know. That's right. <laughs> we'll blame Vince. And uh, Vince It's has always to, my fault. Yeah. Who is this Russian guy that came on yeah. to talk about shares? Russian. <laughs> Russian. <laughs> Russian. Russian. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we've got the Russian mafia here. We've got crack, Vince. Crack open the vodka. Yeah, we've got Vince here. Caviar. From, um, and Blinnies. Vince's accent is Irish slash something. Australian. Australian. And yeah, you guys ready to, you know, stoke the fire. Let's go. All right. Well- I think it's probably best to actually understand who you are, Ivan, and what your history is, just to set the scene on this episode today. Sure. Well, again, thank you for having me. Yeah, so uh, my background is I, I, I'm effectively a recovering day trader, right? So um, <laughs> I, uh, that's another one. Thank you to Camilla. That uh, was, was a nice one. But, but essentially, I started out as a, um, as a futures trader, full-time, uh, traded through the, the GFC where I sort of learned my badges, uh, or earned my badges, I should say, and then... Um, and then over time, you know, sort of transitioned into into a risk role, um, which was which was a completely different side, you know, completely kind of risk and, and technology because I was just too tired uh, trading at nights, and you know, from a, from a social perspective, it's obviously not very not the best thing to do. So yes, yeah, so transitioned to risk, and then ultimately started up a, a technology company that was uh, that was uh, focused around risk management solutions, which most of the market uses for, uh, for 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 their options positions, or most of the retail brokers in the market. And then a great opportunity arose around. 
uh, being part of the of the OMG story. Um, and so that's that's what we sort of came together at the end of 2019, and uh, and out of that, um, I gave birth to Open Trader. Oh, love it! It was just yeah. It uh, it wasn't a nine month. It was it was a bit premature. It was about three months. Yeah, uh, great. The creation of that. And and I will ask you about the Open Trader uh, platform. So what makes it special, and you know who is it good for? Because you know, before we hit record, I'm like, you know, we've we've got a uh, a wolf into the hen house here with a an ex trader, and you know what we think about traders, Vince. We do. Um, but like, okay, firstly, but by the end of this, you'll all be sitting in the casino with me. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So what you're saying is, you can make money as a trader sometimes. Yes, you can. I, okay, and it's just a lot of hard work. Yeah, sweet. Right. Which I, is yeah, we'll because there's some questions here from the group around options trading and sure. derivatives, so we can hit you all day about that. So, what actually makes Open Trader the share investing platform good, and who's it for? Yeah, so look, so it actually, it, it speaking of options, it actually came out of an options trading platform that we built. Um, it's it's sort of its it starting point was the ASX options game, which we then built for the market. When we when we started with open markets, we went, okay, well, there's this sort of subpar trading platform here that, that we need to go in and, and replace. And so we took our quite sophisticated um, options trading platform, made that uh, a little bit user-friendly, a little bit more user-friendly and, and gave it to equities traders. And the whole point of that is really um, to identify um, uh, the edge in the market, um, to try and use a lot more um, sort of the this, this stock screeners that make it a lot easier to identify undervalued stocks. Um, this advanced charting for the technical analysts, uh, analysts in the house to you know to draw some pretty fancy diagrams of which you bit know, of voodoo, everyone, bit yeah. of voodoo. You know, I think every, every every trader starts with with having nothing, to then having a lot, to then re- realizing that none of it means a lot, to then to start kind of peering back. But no, but, anyway, no, but nothing. But, like a double top after a, oh, a tunnel, you know, bull, bull, bull flags on, on top of a triple top. But anyway, um, uh, it, it's when they all start conflict, giving conflicted information based on the same delayed data. That's when it's really awesome. But anyway, so it is it is pitched towards clients that are potentially a little bit more sophisticated. They need real time data. Uh, they're probably a little bit more active in the market, and typically uh, the demographic is a little bit older um, and looking to uh, potentially take part in things not only just uh, like um, equities, but also potentially unlisted things like like pre IPO type investments or IPOs or or in the, in the not too distant future. Um, uh, derivatives trading as well. Although we will really talk about this from an investing point of view because I, I would agree with you. I do not uh, encourage anybody who's not had a lot of experience to go out and start punting mm. with options. That's that's not going to lead, not going to end well. And I wanted to say, you know, I like uh, Open Trader and as a valuable tool for people that just want to buy an ETF and pump that. Awesome. But because of the real-time data, some other cool stuff, it could just help people uh, learn more about investing. And absolutely, I don't do any trading myself. I don't do options. I don't do derivatives. But if someone is interested in learning more, well, learn more, but just be careful and have guidelines in your life. So I would probably say the same thing, Vince. Like if someone did want to, when they get a little bit more sophisticated and look at this options or derivative, you'd still probably keep it within maybe 10% of your portfolio because you just want to manage risk, right? And I love this concept of a game that you talked about. So how does that work? Uh, it's a full. So one of the things about Open Trade, which I think you were sort of alluding to, which is the the, the paper trading. Um, we've got a full. But it's not uh, actually on paper. It, it is. It is not on paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like it's like the it's like a um, share game, but but actually on on drugs, and, and real time, and etc. But we, we so we've built the same thing for options. The first real time options trading game. I think definitely in Australia, 
possibly the world. And, um, and so that's obviously the ASIC. We, we, we worked really closely with the ASIC in terms of doing this. And it, it's got things like options cookbooks. So for the more advanced strategies, you can just click a button and it uses statistics to go on and build sort of your optimal strategies. And then you can go on and simulate that. We run four of those a year. Um, and uh, and it's, it, it's really helped a lot of people get from, uh, you know, potentially paper trading to starting to simulate real experiences. Um, and so for open trader, the same kind of thing applies. If you're an equities person and you are thinking about, um, you know, becoming more active in the market, um, getting uh, your systems down pat, back testing that and um, getting really, uh, understanding that essentially day trading is a job like anything else, like a serious, hardworking job, but you've got to be on top of your game. Uh, open trader, um, helps with that open uh, the, with the paper trading co- uh, component there which is fine but it's still a good platform if you just want ETFs <laughs> I just want to be very clear yes. that yes. Uh, you know this is a um, you know if you just got your license you're not just jumping in a Ferrari and hitting it and I think uh, open trader is a good platform because that $50,000 demo account this is what I really liked about it if someone wanted to just jump in and buy uh, Vanguard or beta shares or BlackRock they can place three or four trades and just see what it's like. Correct. Yeah, exactly. And just um, watch it for a month. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, and then that gets into understanding the value of, you know, doing that more frequently, mm. having smaller trading size and et cetera, um, you know, scaling into some of those longer term ETF positions and yeah. setting yourself up for, you know, the next 20, 30 years. Love it. Yeah. And so as a, you know, new generation of investors... What are you seeing out there in terms of um, education, any type of advice? Um, Because we know that last year when COVID hit, there was a flurry of activity online. Do you have any observations? Yeah, look, I I think there's 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 an interesting side to it that, I mean, essentially that trend of people investing more in the market started in January as opposed to March when everyone thinks that it started. And there's that sort of that... that, um, the, the dig- digitalization of platforms started occurring. And we've seen this many, many, many moons ago when, when Comsec came to market and was so revolutionary at that point in time. And um, suddenly you sort of had a flurry of online investors and more and more people started trading online. And the advisor at that point in time served a very important intermediary. So you you typically had a client who had an account with an advisor and just had a, a Comsec account on the side and would, you know, would be putting a part of the trade idea into, into Comsec. And they were very important because they provided research, they provided guidance as that advisor and sort of helped people in individual situations. COVID happened and what we essentially started doing is, um, as, as, a, as a collective, um, it's kind of like what people used to do when they used to take a, an idea from a guy down at the pub who had no idea about what was going on. Today's world is, is Reddit, right? There's just, except there's millions of them and they're, you know, they're probably drinking virtual beers across the road mm. um, or potentially sophisticated hedge funds, but we won't go into conspiracy theories. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so what's really happened is that, you know, what we do now is, is, is uh, in a big way, that there is flow that's coming through in the market. It's not predominant despite what, what the newspapers highlight, but there is flow that's coming off based on, you know, rocket, ro- rocket emojis, which is obviously not very sophisticated. And, um, and we've seen pretty bad examples of, of, of how that can go um, really pear-shaped. Um, but what's interesting is that now I think this is great opportunity for um, for companies such as Open Markets and and, 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 and some, of our, some of our clients and et cetera to really step in and, and fill that void with that educational piece because there is a definite gap. We've had this big acceleration of people trading online and what they're missing is um, experience, 
and you know they're looking they're looking for community which is why they're ending up in forums you know that's why obviously you know there's there's a very important piece around what what, what you know for example your program does and and, and similar the way they're trying to help uh, educate educate masses around you know where should they be doing and it's it's kind of it's just a changing world right in many ways but there's still a big gap I think in terms of um, doing that on a more mainstream basis so you know we'll we'll do some partnerships together on that and, and take over yeah, the world I would love to take your money I mean work with you um, <laughs> I mean it's amazing having all this information and tools at your fingertips. Um, this is where Glenn brings out his OK Boomer. But <laughs> back in 87, when the market crashed, um, I was in, in Vienna and had a very large open position. And the only way I could get the information was by trying to work out what this German headline said on the newspaper on the newsstand. Yeah. Whereas now we've got real-time data and forums and stuff. It makes life it, so much easier. It, it does to a point, like, you know, I, I, tr- I was at a, I'm really like, I'm a marketer's delight, right? So I was at a conference and someone had an aura, uh, aura ring on and that manages sleep and all that. And by the end of her explaining what it did, I'd purchase one on the spot. It was like seven, eight hundred, whatever it was. And it's like, okay, it gets to a point where it really doesn't matter. Like the data's there, but is it useful and it doesn't matter? So for a new investor, what data matters? And you know, I don't want to use the word trader because I think if you are just getting started with your money and investing, it's got to be this approach to where we buy and hold for the long term. I think for the vast majority, that sh- that should be exactly the strategy, yeah. right? And um, and I, I think that you know the the um, as I said, I, I think that you know trading full time, despite what you know. I think we're the position where we're at at, at the moment. Where obviously there's a, there's a um, countering opinion to this, mm. but um, I think we, everyone in this room will, will agree that the vast majority of people should be not stressing about it. Should be buying ETFs um, if they're doing anything with the market and doing that consistently, um, ignoring the market volatility and, and setting themselves up, you know, for what's going to happen in, in, in 20, 30 years. Mm. Uh, if you, if you the, for the trading side, I mean, yeah, you've got to have all that information. You've got to be on top of it. You're probably, you know, sleeping five hours a day. Um, you know, you're looking at US markets, you're looking at Australia, you're looking at Europe, you're going from open to open, um, you know, and you're you're on top of it and you're trying to understand macro policy, you're trying to understand, you know, um, how it all interlinks, what currency is doing, what's commodity, what commodities are doing. And that's not, you know, that's definitely not what's going on in the market right now. Yeah, right? and that, that is also not investing. It's it trading. Is, it's That is definitely trading, and, correct. you know, the My Millennial Money kind of overarching vibe is we're investors. Yeah, we're not going to have my millennial trader. <laughs> no, probably not. It's funny. Before Vince walked into the room, everyone, I said to Ivan, oh, so how'd you find out about the podcast or whatever? And he goes, oh, I emailed you a couple of years ago about options trading. <laughs> and I said, was I rude to you? <laughs> but um, no, for the record, he wasn't. No, that's good. Thank you. I'm going to try and look where you, where you did because I'd be curious. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah. But, but sorry, but to, to your point in terms of information, for the most part, for, for doing that, for, you know, for passive ETF investing, it doesn't matter what CNBC mm. is putting out. Like, yeah. you know, it, it is it is about a long term. It, it's playing the odds. Yeah. Let's get into some, to some questions. Um, Madge Benham asks, and this can be um, to any broker or company, what will happen to the invested money if the broker or company goes bust? So this question comes up a lot and that's why we'll keep answering it a lot because it's obviously mis- uh, information. Yeah. And I think, think Southwealth South have done a really good job at muddying the waters on this to spruik their own book. Really? That nobody talked about this until two or three years ago. Interesting. 
Ivan, so if I, you know, buy an ETF with, uh, let's say, BlackRock on OpenTrader and I put my life savings in there and, you know, you decide you want to go back to Russia. <laughs> um, with the money. With the money. <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. So, so what happens, you know, if a broker goes bust? First, I can't believe you, you un- unraveled my scheme so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read, read notice? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's clearly defined on, on, on the 17th page of the PDS in, in eight-size font. No, um, uh, so, so in Australia, we, we've got quite a unique system called the HIN model, which, is, which, is, which means that basically you're, uh, you've got what's, what's called a chess-sponsored holding, which means that it's actually the ASX that's holding. So if you wanted to go from broker to broker, it's easy to do that. Um, you're supposed to pick up your HIN, you can move it. In the case that there is mass market failure, that is also guaranteed by the government up to $250,000 for per, per, per that account. And so if you're trading through a broker, so you mentioned Self-Wealth, Self-Wealth uses open markets for its, as the stockbroker, um, stockbroker protects those clients, sorry, the stockbroker in this case, us, will protect that client um, up to $250,000 as part of that failure. Uh, we're effectively just a middleman. We are supporting the clearing trading and settlement functionality of the, for the trades. But as soon as it's cleared, settled and, and, and traded, it back, basically it's then the risk is sitting on the on the central clearing, clearing party, in which case is the ASX, which we only have one. Um, uh, to the point of, of speaking the book, um, yes, there is obviously the, the, the alternative to this, and, and we've, we have had a former client who was using this, which is um, a sort of a single custodial HIN, um, and custody isn't new in the market. Guys like NetWealth, this platform will typically use this. That and just about everyone else in the uh, world. And, and everywhere else in the world, correct. Um, so um, the, the, uh, there's been a lot of um, regulation put in um, over time. I mean, there was a big failure around Opus Prime where you know people were picking up uh, positions, lending those positions out. There was a big margin in there. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the, the, they were doing, you know, I mean, essentially things that they shouldn't have been doing. Um, uh, you know, and that, that obviously led to... to, to but Opus Prime wasn't just a broker. That was a, effectively a margin business. Correct, yeah, exactly. So, so there, was, there, was, there was a lot of interlending going on. Um, uh, in, 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 in recent times, you know, there's, there's, a, there's some serious capital requirements are now in place for businesses that run that. Um, there, is, there is inherent risk in there in, the, in case, you know, um, there's, there's fraud or if there is... Um, uh, uh, you know, something really like stuff that you really shouldn't be doing. Um, you know, over the counter products, etc. The balance sheet can get caught up, but it is definitely a lot more unlikely than it was in the past. So, so the case that everyone brings up, the BBY failure, that wouldn't be the same under these new rules. Uh, well, firstly, the so for us as a broker, for example, the requirement core capital requirements are. are, are a lot more stringent now. So you know, so for us as a as a as a, as a stockbroking entity, we have to hold five million dollars of NTA at, at a minimum. Um, and then if, if you and start for those uh, new NTA means uh, net tangible assets, so effectively in cash, yeah. money. Okay. Real money. money, real money, real money, real money that you can't touch. And so and stuff. okay, so Open Markets has five million dollars sitting in the back garden somewhere. It's 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 in my mattress now. Yeah. No, it's uh, it is it it actually has to be sitting in the in the participant um, as cash or cash equivalents. Could be super super liquid. Uh, if anything happens, if we have any kind of uh, you know liquidity situation, that's the first port of call. And is that why um, other companies 
use open markets as their clearinghouse? Yeah, so um, we've got we've got quite significant liquidity lines on top of that. It's not sort of the limit of what we have, um, but uh, essentially the the stockbroker is the kind of the we'll call it the the custodian of the account physically. Mm. So when you're opening up an account, that basically we're the responsible entity for that account and make sure that that as part of that systemic uh, movement from someone trying to you know, pressing the buy button to then essentially going through um, that trade becomes a, a real position with it with you know with a statement of holding and etc. We facilitate that part. Right. Um, and that requires sort of liquidity lines and et cetera to make sure that um, we have, we're very stringently monitored by ASX and ASIC to ensure that, you know, that we're... So just for those who might not fully understand, so OMG, Open Markets Group, is the stockbroker. Yes. Yep. And you've got different clients who use your services. Yep. So for example, I've got a self-wealth account. When I place my trade... At the bottom of the self wealth statement, it says open markets. Yep. Yeah. So, so um, just for, for sort of reducing the ambiguity, so open trader is the is is a is a business within the open markets group. Open markets, just to really confuse everyone, yeah. is the physical participant, and then they both fully own subsidiaries of OMG and they sit separately. So, so, um, so on that liquidity point, um, something I've never been able to work out since this all went electronic. This again, me showing my grey hair. Um, you know, pre chess you had a problem where if you didn't rock up with your share certificate to the broker within your three days or five days, I think it was then, um, the trade would fail and the stockbroker was sort of exposed to the other side of the trade. How does that work electronically? Presumably there are no failed trades? There are, there yeah, are? Um, and um, and it depends on the broker. Um, so we, we run a, a fully pre-trade vetted model. Um, you can't go in and say, hey, I'm going to give you a, a check um, coming from my Cayman Islands account. It's going to arrive for sure. Um, but, you know, you need to put this trade on for me. So we, we've, we've, we've completely locked that out. Um, but there are still brokers that, that, do, that do do this, right? Um, so um, in our world, you have cash up front. That cash gets locked away. T plus two, which is the two days for the stock to, you know, for, for, for that to settle. Is it T plus two now, is it? It is T plus two, yeah. Okay, just got to update my book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while since... I don't trade. Yeah. That's the thing. So oh, that's right. Because from your point, when you when you click trade, when you uh, click buy, it doesn't uh, actually matter, right? Yeah, I don't just, care. Yeah. Yeah. So when I hit and it's you shouldn't. So when <laughs> I sit hit sell BHP, does your system actually check that I actually do have BHP in my account? Our system does. Oh, okay. Yeah, not everyone. Okay, does. this could be a segue to Simon Clover's question. Um, he sees this question all the time, uh, and with anxiety that he has, um, it could be answered briefly. Like, what broker and why? Um, <laughs> it, I mean, it depends ultimately as to what, what people are looking for. Right? Okay, so I just want to buy a blended portfolio of ETFs to pump and I might go, well, 10% of my allocation, I might buy some CBA or some Woolworth shares just to kind of scratch that itch uh, for individual stocks. So what broker should I choose and why? Um, I, I, honestly, I think it, it um, probably not a very political answer, but I think that for very basic use cases, it's cost. You know, minimise the cost of transaction fees so you can go on and get a better return over time. Um, I so are you saying these brokers that are zero dollar trades? Um, we don't have them yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, not in Australia. Well, what about these Perla stuff? Uh, I think it's free ETFs, isn't it? Free ETFs, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, am I allowed to say that on this? Perla is a client of open markets. We, we like the guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, look. So, so um, uh, again, they, so they've got a chess 
holding. I would, I would, you know, I mean, obviously, so so you know that even if they do go under, mm. um, open markets is backing that. Nothing, nothing's going to happen. And if mm. we go under, you know, you just get transferred out over to another to another broker. broker yeah, ultimately, move on, yeah. someone will will pick up that business. You would think. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that that requires a lot of things to go very very wrong for for that to happen. Um, in terms of you know to to the to the question around or um, sort of the, the comment around you know chess versus non chess, um, you know I mean a lot of people hold things directly with the registry still in Australia right in, in New Zealand even more so so you know so there's really there are it's you'd be surprised Jeez. you know uh, and but if you think about it like if you're a company and you've just issued options to your staff that's going to be straight on sure. registry right yeah. so employee share schemes and etc. Um, so um, you know so so that's still a big thing um, which is pretty inefficient and very unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the amount of fraud that exists around that is, is, is mental. So it's still a bit wild out there, is it? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's getting better, but yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. you know, there's still, there's still inherent risk in the system. Like if there was no risk, then, you know, I would think that our business would not really technically exist or it'd be a different version of it because yeah. we're holding capital to essentially facilitate that settlement of stock. Mm. Um, if there's no risk, then by definition, we would need the five million bucks. Okay, so going back to uh, what broker and why... If I do want to buy ETFs and direct shares, you're saying it's got to be well, open trader is not bad. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> but what what are the advantages of open trader? So look, it's uh, it it really does come down to activity around you know what you're trying to get out of the market. If you're trying to go on and find some underpriced micro stock, um, then it's things like the stock screen that are going to really help you identify that stock. Um, and I would say that um, the system that I would be picking, um, uh, and you know partially revealing my roadmap, but we are focused on adding more research, more news, and more sort of things so that some can of the, make a, an informed decision. So full disclosure, just for fun the other day, I was looking at some uh, lithium speckies. <laughs> <laughs> was it, was it, was it a, a stock or was it a structured product? Was, you know, it was, yeah. Um, <laughs> was it a drug? Was, yeah, either <laughs> or. Um, so for some of these penny stocks, are you saying you're going to start to have some research? Uh, we're not providing, we're not building the research, but but we will be partnering with some top sure. tier companies to, sure. to provide the research. So if it's on the coverage list, typically a lot of those companies, the sort of the smaller companies, they'll pay research houses to go on and, and write research on them. Yeah, um, and it is independent, despite what it sounds like. Um, but um, but then you know they, they do want. But to I guess you don't have to release the research if it's not good. So <laughs> yeah, well, the broker does it for you. But yeah. Anyway, um, so, uh, but yeah. So what you're getting at is, and it probably leads on to a broader question: pick a broker. And move on with your life. Yeah, I think that um, it's probably unprecedented the amount of conversations that we've had about brokers. You know, I think that there is. If if I was to, you know, if I was just starting out, um, you know, to to the to the companies that you've mentioned, you know, Pearl is Pearl is not a bad place to start. Self wealth is not a bad place to start. Um, open trade is, you know, it's good from a cost perspective from the full of those lower trades. But you know, you, you yeah, I mean, it, it's it, not going to. I mean, this is, this is open markets will hold a stock. Yeah. All three of them. Yeah. I mean, this is something that's really changed when I started in the 80s, a stockbroker was someone who phoned you up in the morning when they came out of their morning meeting going, I think you should sell Rio by BHP today. Mm. And Well, now they, it's an execution service. They place the service for, the trade for you. Um, that's not what's happening today for uh, most uh, no, but so, so I think that where, where the world will, will, will move to very rapidly is that I think that we've sort of had this fragmentation. A lot of that's been driven by MIFID II out of, out of Europe. And a lot of that's been, you know, you've got to kind of deconflict all of these conflicted points where the broker's making money on the research that they're writing. So thus the research broker's more, you know, more interested in writing research based on the, the, the position of the, of, the, of the clients on the book and et cetera. So that, you know, if we can go in and write a piece of research and it's going to lead to $20,000 worth of brokerage, we should do it. That's going to, you know, that kind of de- 
that fragmented world is going to come back together where, you know, again, you'll, you'll come into an open trader platform and, and by the way, this is going to be the same for, for everybody else who, who trades through open markets clients, you know, Perl, Selfwell, et cetera. They'll be able to go in and, and add different types of research into the platform and those people are actually in the business of writing research for the purpose of writing research. So is open trader more of a, you saw a gap in the market for some more analytical, techie, advanced investors uh, as opposed to self-wealth Perler, for example, because you as the CEO of OMG, you'd want people to be either using self-wealth Perler, open trader, like all roads lead to Rome. Like what's the actual advantage? And are you kind of shatting where you eat with <laughs> doing open trader? Sounds like you've been reading news too much. Oh. <laughs> Hello, uh, AFR. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's and and, and you've guessed the publication well, <laughs> but obviously, like if you want me to delete this crap, I will. But no, no, no. Um, no look, it, it's it's yeah, look, it, it's it, it it comes up. I mean, the reality is is that if you're trading through, say, Comsec account, and you want to get advanced um, charting and, and advanced tools or trading options, etc., you're going to be upgrading to to Viewpoint, essentially RS Viewpoint or Comsec RS or whatever they call it. Yeah. Um, the same with with NabTrade, the same with Westpac, and etc. And so where our specialty has been is, is essentially going and building a, a, a tool that is doesn't have any components. You know, there's no social elements there. There's no. It's just pure information about making the best possible informed decision you can um, to go in and, and, and buy a particular stock. Mm. Um, for buying a portfolio of ETFs, now I'm really talking against my own book. I don't think it actually matters. Like again, I think it's a matter of matter of cost. So you know, if Pearl is doing it for free. I think, you know, definitely consider but, but, that. But this is the thing. If they're doing it for free, how is a company making money to be around long-term? Let's get the Pearl guys in here. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. Like, I yeah. think in that case, it's being subsidized by the ETF providers. And then it's actually a deferral rather than... But the ETF providers are therefore just buying the buy farm. Correct. It's like, hey, we'll we'll give you the $9 or whatever hmm. to give us the farm. So that leads to an interesting point. And that, I think, is that there's now technology that exists um, for financial planners in particular, um, there's, there's a lot of movement going on towards direct investments, building model portfolios and then giving that out. And I think what we're going to have is um, I think that there's going to be some, some competitive tension on that ETF world for people to go on and build do you remember in Comsec used to have these share packs? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's going to be something like that um, direct to investors. Um, and I think that we're going to get that bridge between advice and non-advice coming through that. Advice in a very loose sense. Kind of, yeah, like scaled advice where, you know, you're still getting uh, a professional to go in and, and um, build um, uh, a, a portfolio per se, which you can go and customise based on your, your view. But I think that the key underlying element there is it's the it's the length of time of the investment. It's a, it's a horizon. I think that, you know, the difference between trading and investing is the, the, the time frame. Yeah. So, so you're saying that for the, for the average trader, paying the extra $9.95 to trade at Comsec isn't actually buying me very much? Look, again, I think it depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, uh, Comsec has got great research, for example, right? So, um, you know, I think as a, as a, as a product provider, um, you know, it's a, it's a great choice. Um, and if they, were, if they were bad, this is a good thing about a, a free market, if they were bad, they would have no volume mm-hmm. coming through them, right? So but also they've got the... Um, they're still the number one player, aren't they? Yes. But they've also got the distribution with everyone in Commonwealth Bank logging mm-hmm. in Oh, Comsec, I can buy shares. I'll yeah. go there. They yeah. don't know that there's a five dollar trade here or yeah. zero with Perla. Yeah, it all seems such a long way from the early '80s when stock broking 
prices were regulated by the government and everyone charged the same price and it was north of 1% of the trade. Whereas, you know, does it really matter whether it's 995 or 1995 if you're buying and holding for 30 years? No. I think that um, where where it matters, where the brokerage size matters, is it, it actually, the difference between 5 bucks and 19 bu- 1995, for example, where, that, where the big difference is, is around um, how you're, you're coming into trade. So if you're looking at buying uh, $5,000 worth of stock and you're paying nineteen ninety five. that's pretty expensive as a percentage of the, of the overall amount. If you're looking to go in and split up a, you know, a $20,000 trade into four tranches because you want to get the best possible, you know, get price averaging all the way through, that's where it matters. Um, and I think that one thing that would be that I, that I would love to see um, as, as someone who comes up to me on my deathbed and says, you know what, you were right about that. And, you know, and then we, we've, we've made an extra, you know, $100,000 because we've averaged our, you know, um, uh, instead of buying our ETFs once a year, we, we're doing it once every month. Um, I'd, be, I'd be a happy man. Um, but so I think that, that's where the big difference is. So with, um, you know, I've just kind of probably pissed Perler off. Uh, I'll, I'll piss you off now as well. So... <laughs> This is, this oh is, man, this is fun! Oh. No wonder my, my chair looks different color. <laughs> oh man, it's uh, gosh, I probably regret half of this conversation, but whatever. Um, it's campfire. We're just shooting the breeze. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you shoot the breeze enough, the fire goes out. Yeah. Well, I won't. <laughs> oh, so, you got surprised. I'm pretty resilient. So, open trade, a five dollar trade. It's a volume game to make the money, or is there other uh, revenue opportunities with Open Trader? So, where Open Trader will will um, monetize a little bit more on later down the track is again just just adding some premium service providers, sure. research providers, and actually kind of bringing back together that sort of that fragmented space. Um, so, if you want to go in and get a particular type of research or, or multiple pieces of research, or you want to get real time news, or you want to get trade ideas or whatever, really want that to be an open community. Thus, Open Trader. Yeah. Um, uh, not that the name uh, took too long to come up with, a combination of open markets and, and trade flow, which is my old my, my old startup, but. Um, um, but yeah, so I, th- yeah, I mean, that hopefully answers that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not basically building an affiliate marketing comparison site. No, okay. I, f- I feel like if, if I don't compress my answers, though, I feel like this campfire chat will go for I about know, three hours, and, and then your editors will hate it. No, that's fine. Hi, Nathan. <laughs> Tanil says I have shares in both Rays and Spaceship because it's easy and accessible. What would you consider the next step is beyond these? If there is one, how much would my portfolio be uh, before you know considering moving to another investment option? The fact that the question comes up around, you know, um, that that the person feels like that they're ready to do something more, that probably is the definition. I don't think there's a perfect size. Yeah, I think the more that you research and understand the money world, you won't have to make the decision. It will automatically happen. Mm. If you get to $200,000 on raise and you're happy and it's all good, mm. guess what? It's all good. Yeah. When, the, when the, te- the student is ready, the teacher will come. <laughs> That it's um, <laughs> thanks, Gandhi. <laughs> that, I mean, spaceship is a managed investment scheme, right? so that is not a direct substitute for direct holdings. Raise is obviously prepackaged portfolios of, in effect, direct holdings, and then you move to the next point where you're starting to pick your own and trade. Mm. That's a natural progression. Whether it's for everyone or not is another question. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Now you've got to go in what I two do, minutes. Yep. Um, do you want to ask, do you want to answer this one for John? Why do I cop CGT on e- ETFs imposed by the managing fund, even though I haven't sold any shares yet? Hmm. Right. That's a fairly complex story. So first of all, it's not imposed by the manager. It's imposed by the fact that you're investing in a trust. And the distinction between investing in a trust and ETF is just a, a unit trust. The difference between that and investing in a company, company makes a profit, 
pays tax, pays out a dividend, and you get a franking credit. That's all pretty simple, and you don't have to worry too much about what's happening underneath the hood in the company. With a trust, on the other hand, trusts don't pay tax in in themselves. What they do is they distribute all of their taxable income to the unit holders each year, and the unit holders wear that tax. The advantage of that is that it's taxed at every individual's marginal rate. So when a ETF like VAS, for example, sells um, a company that exits the index, it will trigger either a gain or a loss, and that gain would be passed on to you or your pro rata share of it. So question, yep. and that's different than the managed fund where if an individual investor sold a big chunk. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a few things going on here. There's, <laughs> there's the, the general ongoing management of the underlying portfolio. So companies come in and go out of the index, they need to be bought and sold. And sometimes they can be very significant. Like when Westfield left the index three years ago, four years ago, yeah, it was a huge chunk of the property index. So that may, and it had been there for a very long time. So that would have triggered lots of gains. Then there's the tax impact of other investors coming and going. So if you're in a managed fund, and in this case, although they're also trust, they're actually subtly different than ETFs in this case. When an investor wants their money back, the manager has to go and sell the underlying shares, which triggers a gain. So that shareholder, that unit holder's exit triggers, if it's big enough, will trigger some sales, and those sales will trigger a capital gain which gets distributed to everyone in the fund, not just to the guy who left. And that's really only a problem when there's a net shrinkage of the fund, because Every day, applications and redemptions come in. Mostly they get netted off. If the fund's broadly growing, then there's no net sales, there's just a net purchase. But when there's net sales, the fund is shrinking, which often happens to these fad funds like tech funds and you know, anything that's going to grow and shrink, um, that can be a real problem. With an ETF, um, they can manage that shrinkage by effectively swapping the basket of shares that makes up the ETF for cash to a qualified trader. And that swapping transaction doesn't trigger a, a capital gain in the hands of the fund. What happens is the buying investor acquires the fund's cost base, but it doesn't matter because they're a trader and they're being taxed on a revenue account. So they will just make their profit on the difference between the purchase and sales. But it's only an issue when the fund is shrinking. Mm. And that hasn't been happening to any broad-based ETF any time in the past. No, it hasn't. Um, so, John, hopefully that answers your questions. Now, do you need to go, yep, Vince? I do need to go. Okay, Vince has got to go, uh, and I'm going to stay with Ivan, and we're going to... Thanks, Vince, though. Do you want to throw another bit of timber on that fire? <laughs> <laughs> Get the marshmallows. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. 
I want to kind of ask you about this trading and futures and all that. How would you explain what uh, futures are? I think the, the, the first thing that I would try to explain is that you can sell something before buying. That, <laughs> that, that, that cringe face that you've just had, oh. that, is, that, is, that is essentially. So, I mean, that's, that's the, let's put it this way. If that concept does not understand, uh, does, does not, uh, you don't understand that concept, you should not be a full-time trader. Like, yeah. you know, like that's, and which is just fine because you have no ambitions of becoming one. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, so, um, I mean, futures are essentially used as a hedging instrument mm. um, for farmers to, to be able to lock in a price for their particular commodity. Oh, um, uh, while they grow it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they can get a portion of the funds straight in, they sell futures, and then what's happened is, I mean, this is like one of the oldest trading instruments ever. In fact, options probably were the first one, mm. uh, which were done by some Greek guy trying to hodge, uh, hedge his olive oil crop. And so um, because he, he the, the, the guy wanted to go in and, and protect his, um, uh, uh, protect his, the value of his crop um, and, and wanted to get paid for ultimately growing that straight away, looking at a price, you know, the cross sort of created this, this instrument. In Japan, they started hedging, I think it's the 14th century or something, if not earlier, they started um, hedging rice futures, rice with rice futures, because, you know, they wanted to lock in the price of the crop. Then uh, around sort of mid-late 80s, uh, a lot of speculators started coming to the market. And as you do, you know, as, as we see with, with cryptocurrency now, suddenly a bazillion people want to rush in because there's volatility in there and it seems like a really good, good thing to do. So futures um, uh, sort of sat there as, as, as that kind of market that, that um, protect typically commodities, houses with, with kind of locking in their prices. Uh, they just happen to be a leveraged instrument and leverage typically attracts um, some people who want to do it professionally mm. and some people who want to try and ride the waves. So you were a professional trader. Like, did you actually make a good living? Uh, look, GFC was amazing. You yeah. know, like I ended up significantly growing my account from from a relatively small one to a very large one. Uh, my my old man is a is a is a developer by trade or was yeah. recently retired. Um, but um, but I I took him. Uh, he was doing my my day trading session, um, and sort of have pre- sort of pre agreed so I could trade the US session. Um, oh, so you'd stay up at I'd night, s- yeah. 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 So yeah, so I used to do sort of the um, sort of from five pm up until um, really up until about seven am mm. session or eight, depending on the on the on the clock. Um, and then yeah, and then sort of then my dad would sort of do do, do the rest of it. Um, and then if there was something going on, I'd be doing the day session or or, or be a part of the day session as well. Um, so. Uh, you, let's put it this way. I know people that have made some serious money out mm-hmm. of out of day trading. The thing that I think people don't understand is how hard it is. Mm. It's if it was easy, everyone would do it. And there are some very very smart people in the market. Did very you, smart people. Would you say in your time uh, as a trader that you set up your life financially? Um, look, I th- I think that uh, I did from an experience point of view. I yeah. could have definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, um, uh, but, uh, I mean, the, the kind of returns that I made, they're not normal. Mm. Um, uh, and that was during a significantly rapidly falling market and then the market kind of bounced back and et cetera. And, and I was lucky to be on the right side of, of a lot of that. So how old are you now? Uh, 33. Yeah. Okay. So when was GFC say 13 years ago? Uh, yeah, so second second year uni for me. Yeah. Um, so I I, I I failed some subjects. I fell asleep in a law exam, but yeah. paid for my university education that night. So it was it was good. But um, it's it was it was it's extremely hard work, but it was rewarding from my 
um, from my career perspective mm. Mm. Um, because the kind of stuff that you learn with that kind of dedication that you need to have is is unparalleled. Um, but from a financial point of view, I would say that most people would not be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the things that, you know, I would say is when, uh, you know, you get the cold call or someone trying to sell me a, an options. You rapidly run and, and go, where's, where's a blank check? I'd like to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> like they, so my thing is, it's like, oh, we get you on this program. It's $5,000. Yeah. And I would say if it's that profitable, why don't you just do that than working at the call center? <laughs> So you know it's funny. Actually, I, I did a session um, with uh, with so I, I I run a options platform, um, which is which is joint venture, and I actually did a course one weekend, five thousand bucks. We, we wrote this course, and then um, we sort of came out of the old business of the and you know, and it was valuable for the people there, and, and you know it was good. I think they they sort of they're still traders, which is great. Um, but after that course, we did that course and we said, you know, we're never doing this again. Uh, we actually ended up recording the whole thing and putting it for free mm. uh, as part of the options trading game, the, the ASX options trading game. And we just thought that, uh, you know, to, to the stuff that, that, that uh, you know so well, which is if you the education should not be something you have to pay for. Mm. Do you know what I mean like it's mm. it should be it should be accessible? We live in a in a in a in a in a fantastic country, um, albeit frequently in lockdown. Mm. Um, it's uh, it, it should it should just come with with the territory and monetize it in other ways, right? Yeah, because I like for me with this options trading thing, um, I for my own proclivity, it would be too much like gambling. So it depends what you do. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like futures trading. It it really depends as to what you're doing. Um, there is a lot of um, use cases for options, which is to protect your portfolio. So, for example, we're in some extremely expensive markets right now uh, on a on a forward PE ratio, and um, you know, like we're talking about major kind of bubble level territory. So, for someone who is looking to get some protection from a potential market downfall. Buying a put option, for example, or potentially putting on a kind of a sp- spread that lo- that kind of um, you know long term thing that that will make money to offset the losses of the portfolio is a pretty sensible thing to do. Mm. Um, Warren Buffett is known for using options. Um, in his most famous trade is a Coca Cola trade. If if a stock is trading at fifteen bucks, you really want to buy it at twelve, but you don't want to buy it before that. The options market can pay you to 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 go on and do that. I think that there's a lot though, that mm. there's a lot of people who've blown up with options because they start doing high risk positions, no intention to own the underlying stock. And it's almost like short selling stock, which means you don't own BHP, but you want to make money off it falling. So you borrow the stock of some other guy and sell it. And then the thing, yeah. Go, yeah. yeah. And then you're Robin Hood. And, um, uh, and GameStop is a good example of that. Yeah. So question, well, it's more of a statement. Um, are you happy to keep talking about options and stuff wherever you want to go yeah because yeah. for me this is the first time i've kind of opened this can on the podcast and i think it's better that we've done this um Und- a, under controlled conditions under controlled conditions they're professional races <laughs> on a controlled track everyone um i would like to try and explain to people what an option is first and because we all understand um a house and land. And so I'm going to try and do it that way first. So if there is a, a house for sale and you think, oh, I reckon I could knock that over and build three townhouses, but I'm not sure yet because I need to get the council permission to do it. And we'll just say that it's it's probably worth a million dollars. Market rates, if they put it for sale, they would get a million dollars for it. 
I can go up to that house and say, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, can I write an option over your property? And that option is, it's a contract that we both agree to, that we say um, in two years time or a year's time, whatever the term is, I've got the option to buy this property off you at any time for say 1.2 million. So instantly the people who own the property know that they could sell it tomorrow for a million dollars on the market, or if they just wait a year, there's a chance they could get 1.2 million for it. And the person who writes the option may say, and for the joy of letting us have this option over your property, we might give you $30,000 a year or something like that, right? Almost. Yeah, yeah. 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 Except uh, the writer of the option would actually be the house seller. But anyway. Sure, sure. <laughs> just, yeah. just terminology is fine. That's yeah. why, And this is why I want to yeah, practice, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the developer would go and get permission to put the three townhouses on there, effectively have approval, and then they can have approval ready, pull the trigger on the option contract, buy it for 1.2, but because they've got the government approvals to put three townhouses on it, overnight, it's maybe worth, we'll make a number up, $2 million. Yep. So, is that a fair vibe of how option contracts work out offline? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a fair summary. I think the, the most common way to look at it first is actually, you wouldn't know it, but but you will have options in your portfolio. And the simple way of looking at it, if you own a car and that car has insurance, that is a put option, right? That okay, is, well, let's talk about put and call. Yeah. So what's a call option? So a call option is what you've just explained. Yes. So a call option is protecting yourself. Uh, if you're a buyer of a call option, then you effectively you get unlimited upside um, with limited downside, but you pay for that premium. Put, a, put option is a complete opposite. So if uh, the value of your car goes to zero tomorrow- you, Due to a crash. Due to a crash, um, accidental or otherwise, you know, you end up writing, uh, you, you end up exercising your put option, you get the value of your car back or whatever your 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 um, market price is. The excess in that, that you pay on your insurance is essentially the premium. Yeah. Um, sorry, uh, it's actually the, the, yeah, sorry, the strike price. Sorry. No, that's right. That's the distance. And then the, the premium is obviously, which is the same. Yeah. Um, so what you've paid for, for actually having that option. Yeah, so- th- Options contracts are everywhere. Yes. I've got a life insurance policy. It's an option on my life. Yep. If it checks That's out. Pretty morbid, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. Um, so when people... Now, with options, you can either write the options yourself or just purchase the options without owning the underlying shares. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you could actually write the option without owning the shares as well, but that's probably something that... Actually, how would you do that? Because my friend Eddie, what up, Eddie? Um, he writes options contracts and he's an engineer and he's just like lives in this world. He writes options contracts on bank shares that he owns yep. and it's a little bit of passive income for him. Yep. Um, and again, I'm, I'm saying this more from an educational point of view and here it's loud and clear, you know, 98% of people, you dig around with this stuff, you're going to lose your money. Like it's simple as that, um, but it's just good education nevertheless. Yep. So how do you write an options contract without owning the underlying shares? Well, that's that's where you blow up, you yeah. know, or you could blow up. So that's probably one of the most ris- riskiest strategies that you have because so when you're writing a contract, you actually take unlimited risk on the upside. So if, uh, yeah, a simple example, if you bought Afterpay, uh, sorry, if you didn't buy Afterpay, but, but you sold a $70 call, uh, call option, you're effectively locking in the seventy dollars. You're like the insurance company in this case, right? Mm. And it goes up to a hundred. Well, there's thirty dollars you've got to pay, and you probably got 
the equivalent of a dollar back. So the risk reward is very skewed. Whereas if you have the stock and you said, look, the stock is, you know, I've had the stock forever. Let's say, you know, you were part of the first Telstra float and you decided, or CBA is a better example. You were part of the first CBA float um, and, you know, you took the shares at whatever. Now it's at 100 and you're happy to sell it at 120. And you just, every month, you just keep selling $120 call option. So you're a writer of a, it's a covered call. You don't have to pay any margin. You lodge your stock against that and you just wait. Just continue collecting the premium every month. And then whenever it closes above 120, the person will exercise their call option. And take your shares. And take your shares. Yeah. Um, so the covered call means you're actually covered because you own the underlying correct. share. Yeah. 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 Um, so is, I guess if people do want to, investigate this just for their own because I'm actually interested and this is why I want to go here um, would you say the safest way to look at doing this type of stuff is to actually own the underlying shares and do the covered calls yeah so I think the the the, the three strategies you'd be looking at is covered calls um, cash secured puts which means that you're looking at buying some stock below the current market instead of putting a limit order you're selling the equivalent in um, in options so that if if the market does drop, you end up having it, and I'd say that you do that as there's a largest last strategy out of these three, um, and then buying a put, which is protecting your portfolio, buying insurance over your portfolio. So I know with E Trade, for example, um, you know, and this is probably ten years ago, so it's probably different or more, probably fifteen years ago, I was dicking around with options, and you had to do the extra level verification, or you had yeah. to prove to them that you weren't dodgy, I don't, whatever it was, like because they just don't want everyone playing, so. How, it is, how does that work? And if I had an Open Trader account and wanted to just look at some data and can you do options on Open Trader? Uh, the best place right now is the ASIC Options Trading Game. Uh, it's, it's the same. It's actually, that's how the Open Trader platform came about. So um, you made that game for the ASICs? Yep. Yeah, wow. Yeah, 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 on the back of our risk management engine. Yeah. And, um, and then that turned into implied volatility and implied volatility and Open Trader are basically brother and sister. They, or they've, they've got the same DNA flowing mm-hmm. through their blood. And um, you can go, actually go into implied volatility and paper trade options, um, and then in turn, um, probably back half of this year, calendar, which well, we're in it now. Yeah, uh, we're we're looking to to have some of those strategies, option strategies within um, Open Trader as well. Mm. But yeah, look, if you if you have a share portfolio and you're looking to get a little bit out of it, that's a way to go about it. But again, it, like anything else, if you do, do firstly research it, understand it, paper trade it, um, understand what you're trying to get into, and don't write calls over stuff that you don't want to sell. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's yeah. so. If, an example is if you had, um, I'll make a number up, fifty thousand dollars of CBA shares, and you're like, oh, I'm probably keen to offload some of these shares over time. It's not urgent. You could write some covered calls, and if you did offload some, if the options got called, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You got to be if you're happy to sell the stock, then that's a mm. perfect strategy. Mm. Because what most people do is they'll put a limit order into the market and say, "I'm happy to sell at this price," and it just sits there, yeah. and then no one does anything about it. Yeah, and yeah. then eventually it gets hit. Whereas you could have been paid for that. Yeah. The only difference is you can't really change your mind. No. Yeah, because in, once yeah. it's out there. Yeah. So once you once you do it, it's it's a it's a game of sort of how close it is to expiry. But if the share price suddenly runs up. And you had a, you know, you're selling, you want to sell CBA at 120 and suddenly it runs up to 119, um, then you're actually going to be losing money on your call option. Mm. And to close that off, you're actually going to pay more. So as a, just another example, because I, I trust people might be confused because we're in kind of advanced territory here. Sorry, everyone. This is, no, no. This is, this is what you get for inviting a Russian X options. Yeah, trainer. I know, right. <laughs> but it, it's good. So 
Let's have an example. I've got- I like, uh, you know, at the start of the session, you're like, well, you're gonna, we're gonna, just going to talk about ETFs. We're not going to talk about trading. I know, but and I'm, I'm just, just curious. I just I know. it for you. Sorry. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> and this is it. Like, I honestly, um, 100% loud and clear, yeah. um, most of you listening, don't dick around with this stuff. Yeah, but, and I agree. Just, yeah. just, just to- <laughs> But we're just talking about it because I've yeah. never talked about it before on the podcast. I wanted someone who I thought was safe and, you know- <laughs> <laughs> not going to be trying to flog us a $5,000 course or whatever. By the way. Yeah, that's right. And th- and that's it. Like, you know. For a limited time only. Yeah, that's right. Now, there's a link in the show notes by the $5,000 <laughs> options trading course. Uh, so, if you had 10 CBA shares, okay, and and we'll just say the share price was $100, okay, you could write a call option. Shit on your idea just there. So every share, so every one option contract typically is worth 100 shares. Well, there you go. So you're going to have at least 100. All right. Okay. Yep. Well, there we go. Let's do an example. So you've got 100 shares in CBA. All right. The price per share is $100. You want to write a call option. How do I do that? Like what, give me a live example of writing a call option. Um, well, the first thing you'd probably do is you'd probably have a look at um, the chart. Yeah. Now you'd have a look as to where you know there's some potential resistance levels, or potentially make some kind of an assumption about where you're happy the price to go over a say a one month period, um, or a 45 day period seems to be the sort of the the golden standard. And um, if uh, then essentially you will go in and, and and pick that option. So you go and say, okay, well let's say that I think that the, this, the share price isn't going to go up to 120 in the next month, and if it does, it's too frothy. I want to sell it anyway. So you go in and say, I'm going to sell a 120 dollar call option. Um, and and then you just follow it just like a trade, um, except obviously in this case you'll have a minus in front of the quantity as opposed to so you go one contract and the system mm-hmm. will tell you everything anyway you need to know you'll receive some um, premium for it you'd actually lodge your stock um, as what's called specific collateral in in the market uh, that probably will mean nothing to you right now no. but, but when you're doing it you'll you'll know because there's a button called specific and you go who on, made this up on on the ASIC share game. Uh, oh. on, on, no, no, it's in a real trading account if you were doing it. Right. Um, in, in the share market game, we made it easy. We just assume you've already lodged it. Yeah. And so a question, when people make all this money with options trading, it's they're making the money from the premium as opposed to, um, you know, buying call options and buying shares cheap. It, it, we, we had... Uh, in in our empirical evidence, we had combinations of everything. So mm. during GFC, a lot of people right around the lows went pretty long, but 12-month uh, call options on the XJO. Um, index obviously had a massive run-up. Um, the return on that was remarkable. Mm. The people, we went from 10 to $300,000 basically in, in months. Did you make any money personally last year from the COVID correction? Uh, I didn't trade. Um, but um, so that was right when I was sort of in the midst of coming into open markets and we were going through restructures. I did. I used to do a Thursday webcast, and Thursday before the market collapsed, I actually did. Um, uh, it's still recorded somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I did a, a trade idea that some people went into that was that was a twenty bagger. That was ridiculous. Really? Um, and it was a sort of the idea was at that point in time we saw the, the market, the economy was shutting down, and we weren't in lockdown. Um, and we did what's called a, um, a, a, a strip, uh, which means you buy one uh, call option to put options. And the idea of that was that- um, Which we, is different than like a straddle because- is it's, it, it's almost, yeah. So yeah. you're almost buying a straddle, but, but it's sort of, you're assuming that there's more risk to the downside than the upside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd lose money if it goes sideways. Um, and we, we, you know, options people have some weird lingo and mm. stuff. But anyway, um, iron condors and butterflies and, you know, it's, I don't know who came up with that. But anyway, so, um, and the market obviously 
collapsed and, and the, the playbook there was um, one, one thing I observed about the Australian market, you know, if the market closes and market drops, um, it's really on the, uh, towards the end of the second day that you want to close down you know, position. Mm. Uh, so two days in a row straight after that, the market collapsed. You'd, you'd cover the one, uh, one of the put options and actually then you're in a straddle, so one call, one put. And then you hold it all the way to expiry. And uh, that was that was a remarkable trade. I mean, you could have you could not have timed it any better. Uh, but we were talking about it for about a month mm-hmm. leading into that day. Um, so the guy that I ran the podcast, the the it wasn't sorry podcast, run with live session with, he did make a lot of money out of that trade. But mm-hmm. he did. And this is where trading becomes really hard. Mm-hmm. He ended up closing that position down too early. Um, and if you're a if you're a trader, this is where like trading is is like professional sports, mm-hmm. full time trading. You've got to be. You know, you got to be. You literally have to be fit. Your mind has to be clear. Um, anybody who's successful is like dedicated to the point where their family hate them. Um, and you have to have a trading plan, which is equivalent to a business plan. You're sitting there consistently cleaning out your emotions, continuously, you know, doing the opposite of what people should be doing, uh, which is, you know, you're, you're always admitting you're wrong. You're always self-doubting yourself. You're always, you know, uh, and, and you're always super arrogant about positions that you shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of it, um, you know, you end up either a really good trader or really bad. And it's, it's, you know, like this is the thing that I think that, Modern day, we'll call them traders, Reddit traders, and etc. I think are missing the point to the point where I will I will say till I'm blue in the face, like you will, invest in a diversified portfolio. Mm. Start with that, and one day maybe have a super small punting account if you feel comfortable. But it's you've got it's a lot of a lot of steps you got to make, and that's it. Like I'll only ever preach buy and hold diversified funds, yep. and if you want to get cute, maybe carve off ten percent. So I'm as I'm even conservative. Ivan and I say, if you even want to hold direct shares, I wouldn't be doing more than 10% of my portfolio. Yep. Like as simple as that, because you, you're an investor for the long term. Yep. Yep. You're not a trader. Yep. But if you are going to be that trader or if you want, and some people legitimately want to do that as their full-time job one day, yep. we'll start small, start with 5% of my freaking portfolio. Mm. And if you have a good run, take some chips off the table, invest it and just learn. Like if you're a fund manager and you're starting out as a fund manager who's a professional who's been doing this, you got to you got to before you get a track record, it's three years, really five years before you start really putting putting you know funds under management. If someone did want to get into trading professionally and um, derivatives and all that, like is there a type of degree that would be should be economics that they need to study first? Is it um, should they go and get a job at um, I don't know some trade desk at CBA or ANZ? Like what would you say to people? It's you know I, I, there's been some interesting experiments around. Um, uh, a guy called Richard Dennis ran the the Turtle Trader program, um, which was which is actually a riveting um, book or, or any case study that anyone wants to read about. And so they basically just got a whole heap of different types of people: chess players, poker players, um, scientists, and etc. And found that there's probably no correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's yeah, I, th- there's no particular degree. Obviously, you have got to understand numbers. But it's actually just about doing it and learning it. The yeah. way I got into it was I, um, while I was, I used to work in a call center in my first year at uni, and I'd just be every every fortnight I'd be getting my money. I'd just be constantly punting on CFDs and losing. And eventually, like a year after, it just clicked. You know, you understand the things, you just continuously learn, um, and you kind of get it. And and then you you know you you actually become okay at it. Well, I want to ask you if you've got uh, if you got a little bit more time. Sure, I'm going to get. I'm just going to go to Yahoo Finance because we've got a like a we'll say a retired trader. 
Okay. Or a, a, an, uh, a recovering, you, recovering day are trader. Are you a hobbyist trader now? I, I, I'm honestly not traded for a long time. I've got, I've got, uh, I've, I'm, I'm basically the opposite of, an, of a diversified portfolio holder. I'm 100% in, in OMG. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Risk game much? Well, at least uh, you're, you're putting your, um, you know, if you own 100%. I heard this management team, they're really good. Yeah, but I mean, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. So for people wondering like, oh, is OMG, is Open Trader, um, legit or whatever. Well, you got a guy here who's got a hundred percent of his money in it. So it's yeah. Um, it's, there you it's have o- it. Overnight success that took seven years, right? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm bringing up Yahoo Finance, only because it's easy to get to. And I'm going to just bring up CBA shares. What the hell? If you were using Open Trader, you wouldn't have this problem. I know. All stuffy. I'm going to log into Open Trader. <laughs> there we go. I've got an account. Did you know? Oh, um, excellent. Log in. Tell me if you find any bugs. Clint, oh, I was about to say my personal email address. <laughs> I'm in, baby. Um, Boom. Now, I'll go to... How do I just get like a, um, a code up? Oh, do you want to see a chart? Do you want to yeah, see... Yeah, yeah, chart. Yeah. yeah, here we go. Charting. Chart. I've, hit, yeah. I've hit charting. Yeah. Let's go CBA. You're actually right. That was a lot faster than Yahoo Finance. Uh, it's, uh, you know, now, build by traders for traders. <laughs> well, <laughs> and remember, use this for ETFs, everyone. Um, so we're looking here at CBA. We've actually, uh, funny enough, we actually do have some interesting features for ETFs coming soon. Anyway, really? Which is space, yes. Well, when you do, come let, let me know and come back on the show. Like, yeah, yeah I'm... I like having people that can help us. So let's just do a bit of a chart lesson for people. So when people open a chart and they see the red and the green and it's uh, called a candlestick, can you explain uh, what it actually means for those who might be new to charting? Yeah. So a candlestick is is one way of showing a chart um, and uh, it shows you four data points um, on one single candle. And so a candle can be a day, a week, five minutes, whatever it looks like. And it shows the four data points shows you the open of the stock, the uh, close of the stock uh, at that particular candle. So if it's 15 minutes, every 15 minute interval, um, the high and the low. So on one single um, stick, you can see um, all that, f- all those four pieces of information. If it's green, it means that it closed higher than it opened. Uh, and if it's red, it closed lower than, than, than it opened. And because red obviously is bad, so lots of people selling. Unless you're in in um, an Asian country, which I hear is the opposite. But yes, so, really. So yeah, yeah, and so it's interesting enough. You know, their, their charts actually look 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 the opposite um, more often than not. So it doesn't necessarily mean bad because most retail traders will buy when when they feel like the price is low, um, which is typically called stepping in front of a train um, mm. <laughs> in, uh, in in day trader lingo and uh, and catching falling knives. Um, sorry, catching falling knives when the stock goes down and stopping in front of a train when it's going up. Yeah. Can you undo a line that I've drawn? Right click on it, yeah. Oh, here we go. Oh, this is actually good. <laughs> I actually, I, I've only had a brief look when I was, you know, before I committed to um, Open Trader and partnering yeah. with you for um, the tour and all yeah. that. Um, and now I, I have a feeling the next time we do one of these, you'll be a full-time day trader. You'll be just like, you know, I, just, I traded 300 times yesterday, man. I just can't get enough. Um, I didn't do my webcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, um, I don't know if you know, I'm writing a book, right? Congratulations. And thank you. And it's due out oh, 1st of October. 
and got to be exciting. Your first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And anyway, so do you want a forward? Yeah, <laughs> right <a> forward. <laughs> um, and I've got a chat because I wanted to make the chapters a bit fun. Yeah, and there's two chapters on investing in shares. Shit, do you want me to proofread them? <laughs> I might actually. Do you want to? Have you got time? Yeah, go. Do um, it easy. I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, it's twenty thousand words. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> But I have about a 2,000 word limit. Yeah, same. (laughs) (laughs) And it was going to be one chapter. They're like, this is too big for a chapter. So, we've split it up. So, the first part is kind of theory. The second part's practical. Um, The theory part, I think I've called the chapter, uh, learn to be the wolf of your own street. (laughs) (laughs) And then the second second chapter on share and investing, Mm. it's called move over Warren Buffett. I'll take it from here. Jeez, that sounds uh, eerily familiar to some of the threads I've been uh, yeah. I've been reading. So back to charting. Is, is, you know, he said full ETFs. By the way, Warren Buffett. Is he really? For his family. Yeah, he said once I once I retire, um, just buy the index. Yeah, that's right. Trust, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Let's be clear. Warren Buffett. He's a freak and he's a genius, and he just bought companies for cheap, renovated them, yeah, and move on. Like, yeah. and and it's kind of like. Yeah, anyway. And it's I, I love this whole, talking about courses, I love how you get all these courses going, trade like Warren Buffett. It's like, well, hang on a second. You have no access to all the management team. You have no capital to become a major shareholder to turn around and put a board in place. Yeah. And the guy sits and invests, it has a whole team of analysts sitting there um, take, doing massive due diligence on a company that is just, you know, it's it's not even remotely, I shouldn't say this, but it's not publicly available, right? Yeah. I mean, they get access to the team, they, they know how to ask questions. Well, they know exactly what's going on, where the gaps are, and then come in and bring all these clients suddenly on the back. Like, Yeah, it's just not happening. Like, no. Um, so, back to charting. Unless you buy a $5,000 cost. Yeah, exactly. Now, this is the chart here of CBA, and we're kind of going along and then um, had a good run and then COVID hit. And then I guess what I want to get at with charting, is it actually a legitimate way to look at the share price and look for flaws, look for suspense or whatever you call it? Um, So what are some terms? So I'm looking here from probably um, the start of 19, uh, 18. Yeah. So you've got a daily chart. You've got about two and a half, three years of history. Yeah. 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 So CBA up here, it's just clipped, you know, $106, I think has been the peak. Uh, it's coming back down. Um, are you buying shares just based on charting or do you look for other stuff? Like, tell me what you see here with the CBA chart. Lots of green and lots of red. Yeah. No, look, I think, um, uh, so yes and no is the answer. And it comes back to timeline. If you're investing for 30 years down the track, uh, you'd be much better off looking at a PE ratio and debt ratios, or not even looking if you're or buying. Or not even. <laughs> well, if you're buying an ETF, then yeah. definitely. You know, you just you it's diversified. Sure. It's you know the biggest companies are going to be part of the ETF in 30 years. You know yeah. this, yeah. but it just might not be the same companies. So, um, uh, so if you're buying specific stock, if you're looking to buy a CBA. I mean, you've got to understand how is CBA different to the other four banks, uh, sorry, other three banks, um, other smaller banks. You know, it's a fundamental thing. Is CBA, have they got an edge that's going to significantly win market share over the next five, 10 years? Um, Because that's going to get reflected in the share price. And if you're looking to invest super short term, charts are really useful because you get, interestingly enough, um, there's been lots of research that shows that uh, companies are actually the cheapest at their 52-week high. 
Yeah, relatively speaking, and on a, on a, on a forward, so earnings continue going up. People sell at the high because they think that it's going to go high. So the t- the, the trading, the, the professional adage is buy high and sell higher, as opposed to buying low and sell high. Because buying, if you're buying low, you're probably buying shit mm. that you don't want to have in your portfolio. Um, I found the charting interesting. So again, a couple of things in the book that I'm writing, I might need to talk to you later because I might be having some issues with the charting stuff that I've used with permissions. That's a, that's a good charting app I might give you access to. Yeah, well, we might because, you know, the company that I got the charts, because I got Vince to get the charts for me because I wanted to compare like ETFs and the managed fund version all in mm. the one chart. I don't know mm. if you, your stuff can do that, like an unlisted managed fund and uh, a listed ETF. I could just get some people to draw it up for you. Yeah, I might. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, I, got to, I got some analysts. Yeah. And I, I can give you credit because <laughs> Wiley will want permission. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they, they said today, like, oh, you've got to go and ask the ASX for permission because you've used the A200. What? Yeah. Well, anyway. So in the book. I got some people there if you want. Yeah. Well, I, you shouldn't. Don't give me an empty gesture because I'll call <laughs> you on it. So in the book, I, I did some charts. I'll just, I'll just dig up the options response. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> I did some charts, right? Like here's some, and I forget the ETFs, right? Uh, it might have even just been a Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, yep. Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund, Vanguard Diversified Fund, right? Yep. So yep. you could see the three charts and how they react differently through COVID and, you know, pretty much the same. COVID hits, they scatter yep. and then they kind of, all yep. roads are leading to Rome. Yep. I throw CBA in there to go, if you had invested in CBA, would have outperformed all of that stuff. Yeah. But I also threw, and you see on this chart here, I threw Westpac in yeah. because if you, that's, and this is to show you the difference in individual stock selection. If you pick the wrong bank, yeah. you would have done worse than if you just bought the index. Yeah. Or if you pick the right bank, which bank? The bank. The bank. The bank. <laughs> the Communist Bank of Australia. <laughs> yeah. So, I, like charts, they're useful to a point. And I wanted to show people charts in the book mm. just so they could see how the share price behaved yeah. over periods. But so if you look at if you look at ten years ago and you were picking a bank to go and you go, which bank is gonna win around, you know, you had Dolomites, you had all this kind of like literally CBA was everywhere. You know, and uh, and I mean the share price in itself is is one thing, but like their market cap's grown dramatically. Like the value of that company is is has exploded. And don't quote me, but it's probably true just from the facts of the size of it. Like, I think they got the biggest mortgage book as well. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, don't quote me, but... Um, or me, because I'd never know these things. No. I don't know. But, uh, and this is it. Like, I I like charting just for a bit of, okay, what's happened? Which way the wind has been yeah. blowing? I like to look for a new resistance band. So, yep. where, where is it really clipping every three months and trying to push through? Yep. Because, and it's weird though, because... A lot of this stuff is governed by algorithms, right? Well, actually, you know, you have so there's there's obviously you know it's interesting. You look at a depth screen um, and you try and chart depth for a stock. You will see the biggest amount of concentration of sellers and buyers at round numbers. At 100, you will have a big seller. At 120, 100, you know, people think they, they gravitate towards the large numbers. So when a stock is first trying to break through 100, it's probably going to get a lot of resistance there. And so um, uh, you know, and then you've got fund managers participating, and you've got brokers and etc. And you know, and you'll have a couple of tickets see the side of, of that hundred to go on and sell in front of all the hundred people or behind it or whatever. And so um, there is like, day trading is psychology ultimately and trying to be smarter than all the rest of the flow. And essentially it's it's like monkeys sitting there trying to, you know, understand dumb flow. Um, but is there a risk with like um, the school of fish mentality? 
Yeah. So the idea is, is that, you know, if you, 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 you stop being a monkey and you suddenly become a big day trader, then you're probably there sitting there trying to trigger stops because you go, oh, there's a whole heap of stops above a hundred. You know, if you get the price to go through the hundred, you put a lot of size on it at the right time, mm. trigger the stop, suddenly market rallies, you sell it, you know, it's, it, or if you get short covering like the GameStop saga, you know, it's, it, that stuff doesn't just happen for the sake of happening. There's, there's sort of big, big money involved. So let's talk about the GameStop thing. Game Shop. What is it called? Game Stop. Game Stop. I yeah. kept calling, okay. in the episode I did with Vince, I kept calling it Game Stock. I, kept, I, I love how I just put myself into the scenario. I know. <laughs> let's go there. Uh, game Stop. That's what it is, isn't it? GameStop, yeah. Yeah. It was, to me, the biggest racket under the sun with Citadel Securities pretty much owning the show. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, there's, I think that there was Citadel or, or otherwise, um, there's definitely been some serious thought behind that move. But Very well coordinated. And we don't need to rehash uh, what happened, but... I, get, I guess I want to go back to um, even Open Trader or if there was a squeeze in Australia. Um, it really can't happen in Australia because ASX will put up a please explain if you've got something moving too fast and they might put a trading halt on where it really doesn't happen in the in the land of freedom and democracy and large fries, does it? Yeah, and it's a lot, it's a lot harder to borrow stock in mm. Australia as well. Yeah. Um, so... Um, yeah, it's that kind of an event is less likely to happen, um, and also there's a lot less participation in the market due to the fact our population's smaller. Mm. So there's a lot less people. You know, it's it's a it's a marketing thing more than anything else. Let's yeah. just let's see how far we can push this so, stock that should be not a stock. When, randomly, if um, you know, if we all held uh, Woolworth shares, you know, everyone held Woolworths, and there was a something got out there how you know there was a run on Woolworths, for example. Is there any risks that you can see with even Open Trade or any other the brokers in Australia that there could be a um, get, get locked out of the broker because there's just no bandwidth for the volume of people? No, look. So, so the, the market is extremely liquid. So something like a Woolworths, you can't you can't move it. You know, it's just it's got way too much volatility, uh, vo- uh, way too much volume. That's why mm-hmm. the stock never moves. Really, that kind of stuff happens in sort of the the lower end. You know, your your, your super micro cap, your twenty million dollar, thirty million dollar companies mm-hmm. that can suddenly get driven up to a hundred. And we we have seen companies get ridiculously driven up on nothing. Um, it you can't. Yeah, I mean, it, it things can happen. Um, the the reality, the structural element of the market, the uh, it probably comes back to the whole the chess component to some extent. Um, it's it, the kind of the risk is not really there. So the, the you know capital requirements, holding that stock and etc. They're just you know you're not responsible really for it. It sits there with a central clearing party, um, and it's very unlikely that anyone's going to be short selling it. Most of my investments aren't chess sponsored. Like I don't think it's the end of the world in Australia. Well, who do you trade with? Thank you, Ivan. Well, I've got my superannuation. Yep. I've got my second superannuation, which is an investment bond. Yep. And then I've got a trading account with my family trust. Yep. And within that, with a financial advisor, I've got a model portfolio on mm-hmm. a platform, BT mm-hmm. Panorama. Mm-hmm. And in the family trust, I've got a self-wealth account yep. with some rats and mice and yep. just things of interest. Yeah. And yep, yep. so the lion's share of my wealth isn't um, So it's under chess. a big custody. Yeah. It's through BT. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then Gen Life. So I, I just kind of think it's one of those things like clients used to say to me, um, 
you know, when you'd recommend an investment portfolio and you might use, I'll, I'll pick on BT. Um, what happens if BT goes bust? I'm like, well, your house is probably going to be worth nothing. So there's bigger <laughs> problems. Make sure you get some fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is that a fair statement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's there's some serious balance sheets behind that. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I totally yeah. agree with that. So, before we go, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think is important? I did see a question actually before that might be an interesting one, mm. uh, which is um, Emma's question. Um, so, if you're investing in a in a thirty cent, oh, yes, in a small company, yeah, Emma Hansen, Emma yep. Hansen, um, what happens if you get it if it goes to zero? So. Um, if a stock price actually does fall to a point where the ASX doesn't deem it to be no longer holdable, if you will, or, or it's below market cap or it's below certain conditions, that stock actually gets delisted and then you can't hold it on here. So it actually then moves to a to a registry, a direct registry. Everyone's um, stock holding goes there and then becomes pretty liquid after that. Sometimes it trades on different exchanges like the NSX um, or goes the to uh, the National Stock Exchange, which most people who are even in the industry haven't heard of. But it's up and coming. It's uh, it's worth, worth checking out. Who owns it? Uh, it's... Uh, it's a listed company called I Sign This from Memory. Interesting. Anyway, God. Anyway, John Carranzas. Yeah. Question. Um, actually, if John listens to this and, and I got his company name wrong, he will potentially come to my house and kill me. Um, are, are we ready for any ramifications after this episode? Possibly. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> we'll find out soon enough. So what you're saying is Emma says if I invest in a a thirty cent uh, specy uh, penny stock and that company share price goes to zero. The ASX will go piss off of our exchange. You'll still own the shares, but it won't be worth anything. If the company is still open. So the thing you've got to look at is market cap um, or enterprise value. Market capitalization, which is a number you can see everywhere, which is a 30 cent stock, a 30 cent stock company might actually be bigger than a $20 company by far. Um, so the share price in itself doesn't mean anything. Um, but uh, yeah, if you bought it for 30 cents and suddenly the company, you know, it was, it was mining, it was looking for gold and it found nothing but dirt that company is going to go to zero. Yeah. Or get bought out by someone in reverse. But you'd almost think there's bigger problems. I'm just trying to think in my mind, like if they're trading um, illiquid, like if they can't actually settle their debts. Insolvent. Insolvent, that's the word. Which, could that happen before the share price goes to zero? Uh, I mean, there's Centro comes to mind. Um, yeah, true. Uh, it it can happen, but um, I actually so I was that that's actually how I got into day trading initially. I I held a position in Centro. Did you really? And um, I was I was in and out of stocks once a week. This is my first foray. I started in in stocks, first year uni, and I remember Centro going into a trading hold, <laughs> and I was on holidays, and I went, oh shit! So I I took a loan from the bank I was working at. Uh, put it into the market, was making six, seven percent returns a week on, on, on it, and then Centro opened up ninety percent lower or something. And I went, shit. Anyway, about about four years later, I got I got a check in the mail from Centro. There was a class action that basically they paid out all the losses I made on that, and um, uh, which was you know would have would have been friendly. It would have been nice if I had it initially, but but not four years later, five years later. But anyway, and um, but that was you know there was some there was a class action at the back of that. There was. Um, breaches in in kind of in auditors didn't do the job properly mm. and etc. So there was, uh, you know, the the directors didn't disclose current li- liabilities. Uh, you know, they they tried to hide them in non-current liabilities, and suddenly they had a debt problem that they couldn't refinance. 
And so it's possible, but it's unlikely. Yeah. Um, there's some very strict governance in place with being a listed company. And, uh, you know, we, we, our, the, the makeup of our, of our podcast potentially would have been slightly different if my listing did go ahead, did a, you know, disclosure and everything that, you know, could have said and could have not said. So I'm a free man at the moment. So it's okay. Love it. What is important to you about today's episode? To me? Yeah. Look, I think that um, to your earlier point about education, I think that, you know, I think that anybody who's looking to do anything in life, I think they need to get more acquainted with money. They need to understand um, because it's going to pay a massive dividend. You look at the stats, one in two people still retire uh, having to record, you know, use the pension, which is below normal living standards. You know, the pension is not enough. So, you, you know, the earlier you start thinking about money, potentially investing, saving a little bit more, uh, you know, you don't need fucking three bedrooms um, when you've got, you know, it's just two of you living there. Like even if you're if you're, on, you're fighting with each other, you know you still don't need that many rooms. Mm. You know, save yourself on the room, invest that into ETF portfolio, and you'll you'll reward your future self. You know, just look at the power of compounding on a on a money smart calculator, whatever. It's it's mind blowing. So I think that what is important about not just today's episode, but everything that you're doing is I think that. With the kind of things that I've experienced over the last 18 months in the market, I, because I've always hung around with professional traders and, and people in the industry, the things that I think are, you know, like normal because of the industry that I operate in, um, a lot of people don't know the, the, the answers to the questions that you're answering on a day-to-day basis. And I think that if someone is, um, is uh, interested in uh, their future you know, retirement, which there should be. And if they're not, you know, there, there needs to be some kind of a scary like TAC type ad here, you know, like if you don't, if you drink and drive, um, you know, it's going to be a scare ad. But if people have to go in and sit there and think about what it's going to be like, and I think that what I love about the show and and, and um, some other shows in the, in the sector is that they're actually enabling that that gap that typically, you know, they would have went to you um, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an advisor, you know, paid you potentially uh, what they couldn't afford at that point in time or, or if they probably could afford it, probably too late for it. Um, so I think that, you know, this is awesome. That, so uh, love what you're doing, man. And, uh, no, th- and, and thank you for coming. May- maybe you'll, you'll invite me again. Yeah, if, totally. If, if I don't get fired from my job. Well, we, we just got to do it before you <laughs> list, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Exactly, exactly. Any day now. All right, friends. Well, thank you, Ivan. Thank you for um, Open Trader for really getting behind uh, the My Millennial Money National Tour. Really couldn't have done it without you. Um, so. oh, you should probably just pick someone else. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, no, okay. You want to go there, Ivan? Um, I turn can away. You imagine the amount of editing you're going to have to do. Just, I mean, this is like. Oh, we're not this. editing this. Oh, fantastic. This yeah. is going to be the longest episode on record. Yeah, no, we don't edit. Um, <laughs> I turn away more sponsors than I take on. Oh, that's good. It's only because I just. No, I'm not going to advertise a crypto trading platform. Back off. Stop emailing me. No, I'm not going to advertise Afterpay. Back off. Stop emailing me. Like, Hey, I've got I've got this options course that I can introduce you I will you to. do that. Can I get an affiliate <laughs> clip? Uh, look, we, we'll, we'll 40%, discuss it offline. 40%. 30. Yeah. Mm. That'd be great. I mean, I've got to do all the work. Yeah. <laughs> all right. See you guys. <laughs> Thank you. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. 
If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.